0: At that time, I used to go New York, London, Milan, Paris. I think that was the way the word was. And I used to always say, I'm fashioned out, and fashioned out. And, then, and that's why we called it Fashioned Out, because if you do the whole circuit, I mean, it's exhausting.
1: Welcome to Fashion Cast, the fashion industry's premier podcast where we explore all things fashion. From designers and the latest styles to sustainability and breaking fashion news, we keep you informed. Now, enjoy the show with your hosts, Michael Gloucester and me, Christine Tucktuck. Welcome to a Fashion Cast exclusive with international fashion pioneer and icon Diane Purday. No introduction is required for one of the most multi-talented creatives in the fashion industry. Based in Paris, Pernet was born in Washington, D.C., is a graduate of Temple University, and studied at Parsons and FIT. The legendary Pernet has long been on the frontier of fashion as a world renowned fashion critic, video journalist, designer, blogger, fashion film producer, and entrepreneur. Welcome to Fashion Cast, Diane. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So tell us how it all began. How did you end up in the fashion industry?
0: Well, I think I was always fascinated by fashion, even as a little girl. I was very particular about what I wore. I was very much into pink and frilly and stuff that has nothing to do with my current look. I used to sit on my bed and draw and look at movie magazines more than fashion magazines and just dream. So it just kind of evolved. And I thought my drawing's very spontaneous. So it's not like, you know, well conceived fashion illustrations. So I thought at first maybe I couldn't be a designer because I don't draw that well. But in fact, you know, illustrators are illustrators and designers create the clothes. Mm-hmm. It didn't really matter.
1: So, Diane, what's your definition of fashion?
0: Fashion is just the way people express themselves. I'm more into style than fashion per se, because fashion has a sellout date. Mm -hmm. Style, something that lives forever. That's true. What do I think of fashion? I love beautiful things, you know? I was Mm -hmm. a designer myself for 13 years. So for my own brand, what I like about fashion, whether it was me creating it or someone else, it's the creative aspect of it, more than just a beautiful product. I like to see something that you can see it goes beyond just a product,
2: just fashion. So can we talk about that for one minute Just stay on the style versus fashion versus timeless versus trends? Because a lot of that, I think people kind of get confused about. And to me, I'm not confused. I mean, I can think of some key people in history like Jacqueline Kennedy, like Lady Diana, who were just these style icons. But w- at what point did you think, look, this isn't just fashion, style's very, very different. And we've heard other designers and photographers even say the most important person in the room when we're doing a shoot or a film or anything is the stylist. Can you explain a little bit more in depth about this whole style? and the timelessness of it, and the importance of that?
0: Yeah, well, first, as I was creating, as I was a designer, I wouldn't say the most important person in the room is a stylist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> if so, it negates the fact of the creator. But when you talk about style icons, do you know who Caroline de Magalli is? She's the muse of Chanel, when Karl Lagerfeld was... Alive, she was his muse, and I actually gave her one of her first modeling jobs when I was styling. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> styling and styling, they're two totally different things. Like Tilda Swinton is someone I think has a, a style which is kind of timeless, or Charlotte Gansborg, you know, the um, Jane Birkin's daughter. Or going back to dead people, how about Edith Sitwell or Madame Grey? Right. Anna Mignani or currently Charlotte Rampling. They're people that just have an amazing style. And uh, it's not about wearing labels. It's not about, you know, I'm wearing Prada, I'm wearing Gucci, I'm wearing Chanel. It's the way they put themselves together and that creates their own style. Otherwise, they're just showing how much money's in their bank
2: account. Right. It's and it's really the way that, like you said, the way they carry themselves. I think it has to do somewhat with the fit and how the garment fits on that particular person, because there's a lot of wealthy people who just can't wear the clothes no matter what. You know, they just don't have the body style. So that's interesting. But again, if you go forward a little bit and then we talk about imagery, are you saying that Karl Lagerfeld was more style than image or was he more image than style?
0: Ah, well, Karl Lagerfeld is a, is a specific case. <laughs> no, when you look at him, yes, he has a definite style. Designers like Karl Lagerfeld, Armani, Azadine Alaia, they always look the same. Like if you looked at them through 20, 30 years, because they have their own style. You know, when Carl was fatter, he had a fan. When he lost weight, he lost the fan. But he always had the high collar, the jewelry. You know, it was a certain look, it's his look. He owned it. Style is something you feel and you assume. Whereas fashion is something you can buy. But a lot of people that have more style, they might've picked stuff up for nothing and just put it together. And they look great because they have personal style. Style has nothing to do with money.
2: Right. I hate those people who can just put Mm. on anything and they look great.
0: But that's a stylist, you see. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good stylist. Trends are something, you know, sometimes people want desperately to be on trend. And they wear something that it really doesn't suit them. It's like middle-aged women wearing Martin Margiela when Martin Margiela was designing it. It didn't really work. It looks better on somebody young, tall, and thin because it's very austere. But these older women wanted to show they were aware of what's happening, so they would wear Maison Martin Margiela. I think the most important thing is whatever you're wearing, you feel comfortable in it. Mm -hmm,
1: Definitely.
2: That's the key. So, is there someone that's alive today, someone who's maybe forty and under, that you think, wow, this person really is a style icon, or someone that's coming up that you think they're going to be able to pull this off?
0: Yeah, like Caroline de Maigret. I don't know exactly her age.
2: About okay, forty.
0: I don't know. Charlotte Gansborg, She's, I think, she's under forty. Tilda Swinton is definitely a designers, but she's closer to 60, I think. Kristen Stewart has a good style.
2: You were a designer for, what, 13 years? Were you based in New York?
0: Yes. It was my own brand, and I was based in New York. In five of those years, I had, in addition to my signature collection, I had a licensed collection in Tokyo.
2: Oh, really? So what made you pivot out of design... And out of New York and into Paris.
0: The truth of the matter was, like from around 1987 on to I left the end of 1990, like October 1990. New York was a mess. It was like Blade Runner, but in the worst way. <laughs> we lived in the West Village. There was an AIDS epidemic that. I'd say, no exaggeration, 85%, 90% of my neighborhood was dead or dying. Wow.
2: Oh, God, that's awful.
0: The mental patients out of the hospitals, they were living on the street, there was crack. It was not inspiring as a designer. And it was very hard for me to leave because I had a business, I had people depending on me. But I thought, I can't live like this. You take the taxi And you say, wait until I get inside my place. You couldn't walk around. People were doing drugs, robbery. It was a nightmare.
2: So it was dangerous. Yeah.
0: Yeah. People living in the the subway, the mole people, because the subways were open 24-7.
2: Well, yeah. A lot of creatives died during AIDS, obviously. Yeah. Incredible.
1: So is that when you moved to Paris around that time?
0: Yeah, I moved because I just couldn't take it anymore. It was too depressing, you know. Mm. I just thought this as a designer, this is not inspiring. I opened my door and a human feces is on the
1: ground, you know.
0: Oh. And the West Village was nice. There was always
1: a nice area. Do you ever miss home or did you do a visit? Do you come visit sometimes?
0: Not that often. And no, I mm-hmm. never, not even for five
1: seconds. Wow, you you have no reason to come back. No, I mean your your new home is Paris, huh? Yeah, I mean um,
0: I went back for the Bof 500 Gala a couple times. Uh You know, I go back like maybe three days, which was great. I'm comfortable there. I just don't want to live there. I have friends, of course. I have friends from New York. Most of my friends from New York now I met in Paris. Funnily enough. But they live in New York.
1: You've been a pioneer. So what are some of the most surprising changes you've witnessed in the fashion industry during your career?
0: Oh, well, when I came, I was working on the other side of the podium. You know, I wasn't the one on the catwalk. So when I first moved to Paris, I was working for CBC, which is where Tim Blanks was the on-camera guy, Canadian broadcasting and all the shows in Paris used to be in the tents. And you'd watch people sneak in and wait there for hours. Mm, okay. It was like really kind of an exciting moment for creativity. That was a time of Mugler, Montana, Gautier. Gautier was the only one that remained after all that. Lacroix. It was a great, exciting time. And then things, as they moved further... Uh, bloggers, bloggers turned influencers. It became another story. It was more like the people that were watching the show wanted to be the show. So there was all this insanity going on outside the shows, and then the PR made it so not that exciting. I I don't know. I think it was a different. It was a different time in the nineties.
2: Is that when you had the aha moment to really jump into the blogging? At what point did you say, I'm, you know, this makes sense? Maybe I should try blogging and it should really be about fashion and style and so forth?
0: Well, I'm the first blog. There weren't any fashion blogs. There were political blogs and food blogs and economy blogs.
2: Yeah, all the boring blogs. No,
0: well, I mean, it depends. Yeah. What well, <laughs> you're in. It was funny because. I was making videos with uh, this young guy, Alex Chetfertynski, who had a company called Disciple Films. And we got Gallery Lafayette to sponsor like these great, I mean, I could send you a link. They're really fun. It's like a bit of fashion history in 2002, 2003. Yeah. Called Fashioned Out because we would go, at that time I used to go New York, London, Milan, Paris. I think that was the way the route was. And I used to always say, I'm fashioned out, I'm fashioned out. And and that's why we called it fashioned out. Because if you do the whole circuit, I mean, it's exhausting. In Milan, there was this girl, Anina. She was a showroom model for one of the designers in Milan. And she became friends with Alex. And she was very tech-oriented. And so she asked me, this was the beginning of 2005, because I started my blog like February 2005, if I would be willing to try this new software called Life Blogging. So I said, sure. And that was kind of the beginning of blogging for me.
2: So your blogging was, and and the blog still exist, yeah. obviously, but... Is it primarily writing or is it writing and visual blogging?
0: I'm really into visuals. I, I write, but I'm not writing all that much.
2: Right. And, and that's, I guess that was my point because a lot of these blogs early on were about writing and now they've kind of changed over into really a more... Video kind of content.
0: Well, I was always into filming. I mean, that's what I like. Now I don't use a camera anymore. I went from bigger cameras getting smaller, smaller, smaller until I just use my iPhone.
1: <laughs> you currently serve as, on the advisory board for the Fashion News and Lifestyle Network. So I was curious to know how did you and Rocco start working together?
0: The first time we met, I think, was in Paris at the shows. And he was introduced to me. By a friend, and then I met him again in Bulgaria. (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow! (laughs) Uh,
2: Just hanging out in Bulgaria. Bulgaria. (laughs) My my festival
0: was at New Boyana Film Studio. Oh, okay, okay. Filming not for my festival, but he was filming the Fashion Week. Our paths kept crossing, and then we decided that we should do something together. We've collaborated, and now he's made a channel for me. On FNL network for Asvov Twelve, but already during the quarantine, I came up with the idea of asking people to make home movies, lockdown home movies. Okay. And there's the of them, and we decided to have a people's choice. It was the first time on his network that you had like an exchange of a people's choice.
1: Oh. And I like that
0: idea, and we're going to continue it.
1: Oh, you said it's called Asvov.
0: A S V O F F It means a shaded view on fashion film.
1: A shaded view on fashion film. Okay, and that's a separate channel on his network.
0: Yes. If you scan down a bit, you'll find it.
2: Yeah, so listeners can download FNL. Um, You can also watch it on Prime TV, Roku. Um, There's a number of, of streaming outlets that you can actually subscribe to. But I've been watching, and I'm quite interested in voting, too. So. Oh, great. We want you to vote. That's the whole idea. Yeah, it, yeah that's the key. And it's it's quite addicting because mm-hmm. you watch one. And what I love about these films in general, a lot of your films are short in nature. And I think that's the whole genre of fashion film anyway, is that it's short. And so they're easy to watch and to pick up a lot of great ideas. And so now it's becoming harder and harder too. <laughs> to vote and pick exactly what because they're all just so creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really good. Have
1: you been watching them too, Christine? Yes, yes. Very nice. Yeah, I finally downloaded the app. Yeah, it's 99 cents for a month. Yeah, it's only 99 cents, yeah. And you get get so much.
0: It's like you can go to South Africa with Rocco. You can watch Iris's fashion. You can watch my channel and vote, vote, vote.
2: This is all very very creative and one of the things I wanted to ask you is you know what do you consider yourself are you a creative person who kind of swerved into the fashion world or are you a lover of fashion first who happens to be creative which I think are two different people to me
0: They are two different people and I'm the first. I'm a creative person and because mm. my degree is in filmmaking actually I was a filmmaker and a photographer because I thought, because I don't draw that well, it's very spontaneous, that um, maybe I couldn't be a designer. But then I realized that's not the point. And I had my own brand for 13 years, and now I create platforms and promote other people. But when I did the perfume, that was another creative venture. So my soul is a creative person that always loved fashion, but always loved
2: film. Diane, you have repeatedly stated that fashion must be the protagonist, or it's not a fashion film. Are there other parameters that you've determined that are crucial in this film genre?
0: Yeah, because probably that doesn't even make sense anymore. What I really mean to say is, I like storytelling. I used to say the fashion has to be the protagonist, but in essence, the fashion is just integrated into the film and you judge the film on the exact same criteria that you would any the other film. But if the clothes are crap, I can't call it a fashion film.
2: Right. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> other than that, it's really wide open because my festival is about fashion beauty style. What I don't like is like, here's the bag, here's the shoe, things like that. That's, To me, that's not a film. I want it constructed like a film, not an advertisement, although we have one prize for
2: ads. So a shaded view on Fashion Film 12, the 12th season, that's ongoing now, is it not?
0: Well, it's going to be on FNL Network October 6th to 8th. Well, probably it'll stay on a year, but those are the main key dates.
2: Okay, and it's just the voting right now for the Lockdown yes. series, the 68 films goes through September 1st. Yes. Okay, I just want to make sure everybody can get on there and vote.
1: So you launched Diane Perday Perfumes 5 years ago. Yes. What motivated you to enter the perfume business?
0: Well, it's interesting because actually when I was a designer it was something I dreamed of doing, but I wasn't in a position to do it myself. And one day I was in Florence at Pitti Uomo, which is this big Italian men's trade show. And I ran into a friend of mine, Christian Segrefredo, And he said, you know, it's time you do a perfume. Hmm. I've always wanted to do a perfume. And he said, I know just the person for you. Hmm. So it took a while to meet Chelsea Fidelli, who's the CEO of Intertrade. And we met and he said, okay, I want you to write four briefs for me. There are five perfumes now, but there were four originally. So he said, you can do two woody, one citrus, and one water. But you make the brief, and then I will give it to these different noses. So the first perfume took over a year, because they're working with these noses, you know, and it wasn't directly, like, he was the middleman. And so I kept rejecting things and because you know perfume can give you a headache make like you sit to your neck, you know uh-huh. and I like a perfume that has no gender and I'm of course it's got to be perfect And finally there was one of the noses that I kept saying okay this one I like it's getting closer it's not there but finally I begged him let me meet this nose it'll Take much less time if we're direct. So I met her, she came to Paris, she's based in uh, Grasse, which is where, you know, Chanel and the Roses and all that. It's a very popular place for noses to be in the south of France.
2: It's a wait now, wait Ooh. a second, Diane. <laughs> You're saying there's professional people that are just basically <laughs> paid. to to sniff out certain scents that, you know, the creator wants. Is that what you're saying?
0: I come up with a brief, like for instance, I like to be honest, which was my, the first perfume I created, but I'd say, okay, imagine you're walking through the woods and you come upon a church and you go in and there's like that sense of the incense and you're in the woods It's very serene, but it's also um, kind of spiritual when you have notes of like myrrh and black pepper and cedarwood and patchouli and vetiver. That's what makes up, to be honest. It's great. It's like if you went and meditated in the church.
1: That sounds great. So, yeah, so they're all unisex, all the perfumes. All of them. Yeah. And I love the names, to be honest, Love Affair, The Pursuit of Magic, Shaded, Wanted. They all sound great.
2: You're probably aware of the sales. Are men actually purchasing this?
1: Oh,
0: yeah.
2: Okay, because everybody knows it's unisex. Okay.
0: Maybe Love Affair would have less men because that's kind of roses. But I, I know men that wear it.
2: So before this person said, hey, Diane, maybe it's time to launch a perfume line. You weren't going to do it. You weren't even thinking about it, or it had crossed your mind.
0: No, I was thinking about it like thirty years ago,
1: <laughs> oh, and then and then I just you just manifested it.
0: I was thinking about it a lot. I was designing bottles, and I had strong ideas, but I wasn't in a financial position myself to produce a perfume. So, Chelsea Fideli, he is a distributor. But with him, we developed it. It was my idea of what's in it. He found the noses. He deals with distribution. He deals with everything.
2: And that's all out of Italy?
0: Yeah. Intertrade trade group? Uh, yeah, but I think he's based in London now.
2: So I want to pivot to just the industry in general, because again, you have a different perspective because you've been in the industry. You've held a number of positions. I've actually seen that you were on the board of you know, even some sustainability type organizations.
0: Yes, I'm on it now, yeah.
2: Yeah, so you've been in business, you're, you know, you understand the technology, you've been a pioneer. How do you look at the business now from this? And you can kind of see the future and the path and so forth. What do you see are the challenges for fashion?
0: I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, there are a lot of major challenges. And the thing is, I'm a bit afraid that, People aren't going to learn from their own mistakes. I thought, you know, okay, when we have the quarantine and suddenly you see in oceans, suddenly certain fish and sea world is coming to life that you've never seen. Or suddenly you hear birds in New York or whatever and you see the sky in India and China. It was obvious that industry is destroying the planet. Mm -hmm. I don't know if if the fashion industry is a number 3 destroyer of the planet I'm not sure but it's up there. And so companies have to pivot and do things in a more ecologically positive manner in all the way around between the fabrics, the pollution from the dyes, the carbon footprint. So I think The idea during this pandemic was there's going to be less fashion shows because why do we have so many, you know? Why do you have resort? Why do you have, you know, just to have it twice a year and that reduces the carbon footprint, produce less clothes because you have to think about the landfill also. It's like enormous. We are destroying the planet. And the thing that got to me the other day, there was an announcement that Chanel is going to continue in the old way, like to have resort shows and blah, blah, blah.
2: I saw that, yes.
0: Yeah, it's really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Because on the other hand, like two caring brands like Saint Laurent and Gucci said, no, they're going to go out of the, they're going to do less. And that was really positive. But then Bernard Arnault comes and says, LVMH, we're going to stick to the way it was.
2: We've had a number of conversations about the lack of leadership. I mean, there's zero leadership in this industry. For being one of the largest industries on the planet,
0: mm-hmm.
2: there's all these disparate groups. There's organizations and associations, and everyone's trying to do something or block something. And it doesn't seem like there's a central figurehead here that can kind of lead the industry through anything, and then you end up with your concerns, which is, well, everyone's indifferent, and they're gonna go back to the way they were because it's really about money. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I'm just kind of reporting and observing, Christina and I have been observing this, but do you agree or disagree that you really need serious leadership in the industry?
0: Well the thing is with the industry there are three major players. It's Caring, mm-hmm. that owns so many brands, you know, including Gucci Sandra. L yeah. LVMH, which owns, you know, tons of brands. And then you have Richmond. Yeah. And those three powers control everything. That's true. The only thing that can change is young designers, new brands, it's easier for them to start in a eco-friendly, sustainable manner. I was listening to one designer talking during London Fashion Week, which was kind of a digital Fashion Week disaster. But (laughs) there was one interesting podcast. And it was this designer, Rayburn, Christopher Rayburn, but it's called Rayburn now because he does it with his brother. And he goes, you know what? I'm just going to go around and search military uniforms from Europe, rework them. I'm not going to create something new. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. And that guy's been established for like, you know, 10, 15 years. And he always, always started out with like military clothes or parachute fabric. And I thought, well, you know, that makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of designers that are doing Upcycling or trying to be sustainable or like in ten years we'll be sustainable, like big companies are saying things fast fashion like H and M. They're doing certain segments that are green, but they should do the whole thing. But in order to do that it's gonna cost them a lot of money.
1: Mm-hmm. So Diane, do you have any parting words of wisdom for those entering the fashion industry or for those struggling to stay engaged in the industry?
0: I think what's important is to do something that's really personal. And I think if you're starting out, start out sustainable. Start out thinking about the planet. Make that integrated into your message because that's the direction we have to go in.
2: Oh, that's good advice. Very good advice. Yeah. Yes, thank you for that. From your lips to the fashion god's ears, right? I mean, wow. (laughs) That's really good. So, Diane, when can we expect your autobiography? I mean, you know it all. You've done it all. I know. We have this pioneer here. There's cool stories in between the cracks here, I know. (laughs) There
0: are lots of stories. It's really funny. There's this young director, Konstantinos Menelao, who's living in Athens, who also Works with me in Asvov, and he wants to do a documentary. He's looking for a producer right now. He just sent me the other day the um, presentation. If you know any producers that want to do, a, I have the director and we've got the plan.
2: Wow, that's amazing. That's cool.
0: So I don't know. I mean, it's never me that actually wants to do these things. It's just people pushing you. <laughs> mm. But this guy, Constantinos Melav, is a young guy. He's like thirty-two, thirty-three. I don't know, something like that. I really like him, and it's someone I feel comfortable with because you can't have a documentary with someone you feel comfortable
1: with. Oh, stay tuned because Diane Grenay is just getting started. It sounds like to me. <laughs>
0: well, anybody out there that's interested in producing, putting it on Netflix or something, we're open. <laughs>
2: Diane, that's a great way to end the show. So yeah. Diane Pernet, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for appearing on Fashion Cast.
0: Thank you, Michael and Christine, for having me and making my voice heard.
1: <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also visit us on our website at fashioncastpodcast.com. I'm Christine. And I'm Michael. Stay beautiful.